Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to the game, the football podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. Now I am joined by Alison Rudd and the very excellent Tony Cascarino. Plus, down the line from Liverpool, we're very excited making a seasonal debut. It's Tony Barrett. Coming up, we'll be reviewing the Merseyside Derby and dabbling into the mind of Wayne Rooney, as well as the usual quick hits, everybody's favorite segment of the show. But first, let's concentrate on the clash in North London. The miscue from Lamella. Now Sanchez again. Back to Cavola. Well back, no. Oxley Chamberlain, yes. Massive, massive relief for Arsenal. Messi, but crucial for the Gunners. Cass, I'm going to start with you because you probably have uh, more of a London accent than, uh, than <laughs> any of us. What were Spurs hoping for going into this game and did they get it? Yes and yes, I think. Yeah, I think they went there with a game plan, trying to counter-attack when Arsenal overloaded being quite adventurous going forward. They eventually made, for me, the inevitable mistake that Arsenal do. Um, the goal I found, I just couldn't believe Chesney's decision to throw the ball out to the fullback Chambers, who then feeds it into Mertesacker. This was from a Tottenham free kick where everybody was upfield. You know, they'd overloaded for the, the, the set piece to get people in the box. So as soon as Chesney collects it, his first thought was to go wide, comes back inside, Mertesacker plays a ball with... Flamini literally is back to the play and he's technically he's not gifted enough to wriggle himself out of a problem and Tottenham players in positions to get them a goal and I I felt that was a sort of thing that Pochettino was looking for if he could find a, a weakness in Arsenal it would be there and then like always Arsenal then make substitutions and go even more adventurous and it was Tottenham defended for their life and eventually got caught but Strange by Arsenal. I just feel that this is so common in the way they play that inevitably someone will turn up and go, it's my turn this week, I'm going to make a mistake, and it costs them a goal. Couldn't you flip that, though, Tony, that, yeah, I mean, Flamini was put under pressure, but he was put under pressure because Spurs chose... I think it was this, the decision-making of Spurs in this match was a bit better than they've been showing, which was mm. when, when to defend and when to press high. And they... They timed that right, didn't they? They were, well, they they were pressing, and, and I don't think Arsenal knew when to expect it to happen. Well, I, I suddenly they were there, suddenly they weren't. So, if I take it back to what I said originally, it was a set piece by Tottenham. 
So they'd put people, bodies had come back from the back. They'd, you know, they'd overloaded, because like most teams with corners and set pieces in dangerous areas, you do. So Tottenham were already there. What I found strange was Chesney's decision to immediately look for a short ball when there was about four or five Tottenham players in advanced positions. Now, that's far more dangerous than in open play. And that's why I thought it was such a strange... He makes a bad decision. Chambers doesn't choose to go down the line, gives it to Mertesacker inside, who then plays a really tight ball where there was a number of Tottenham players in position. That's what I thought was strange about the goal. Tony, do, do you think Arsenal give up more foolish goals or bad decision goals, I guess is the way Cass might have described it, than the average team? Or are we just kind of more more conscious about it? I, I don't think they gave up more than Liverpool. I don't think they gave up more than Tottenham. I think Arsenal have this focus now that means that because they did go so long without winning the trophy, which means that everyone looks at causes and symptoms of that. And one of the causes and symptoms will always be they they are brittle at the back under Wenger in at least over the last six or seven years. The goal they gave away on Saturday was was a bad one. I think the more worrying thing about Arsenal isn't that. I think that they're not actually as good going forward as the players they have suggested they should be. If you if you were to put their defence down, you'd expect them to score to concede goals. Just the, the nature of players and, and the style of football. If you put their attack da- down in a list. And I think most people would say, yeah, but they should score heavily in, in quite a lot of games, and they don't do that. Uh, and it's that more than the... I I always expect Arsenal to concede, just I always expect Liverpool, Liverpool to concede, I expect Tottenham to concede, but I also expect Arsenal to score heavily, and, and they don't do that anything like as often as they should. One thing is uh, we'll, we'll get to see more now, uh, I suppose, or we'll get to see a fuller range of uh, Arsenal's options, because... Uh, Certainly during in the course of the game, Jack Wilshere, uh, Mikel Arteta, and Aaron Ramsey all got injured. Now, I think Arteta seems to be possibly the, the most serious one. Uh, that means a whole load of Matthew Flamini uh, going forward. Is it just out of the question that he might he might solve this in a different way and, and like perhaps by, by, by playing two in front of the back four? Or is he just kind of fixated, like, this is the system and... If Arteta's not there, it'll be Flamini, and if it's not Flamini, then it'll be Coughlin or some other dude. Uh, far be it from me to question Wenger's managerial nows, but I don't. I just think Arsenal looks so much better when they play four-two-three-one, and I don't think Arteta has all the attributes to be the one if you play just one in front of the back four. He's a very intelligent player, and I I I, I like I like his. Um, uh, reading of the game, but he's he's getting on a little bit. He's not he's not quite as powerful nor as quick as he should. You have to be to be the all round star of that position. So Flamini, I think, always seems to make uh, a mistake whenever I see him. Either he you know he he, he makes a tackle in a dangerous position. The, the obvious solution without Arteta, if if that was the player that Wenger really did believe was the best player in that position, would be to go back to playing two two players in that position and you know it could even be um, Ramsey and Wilshire together at some point for Arsenal's midfielders it's really difficult because the fullbacks are so adventurous and leave open spaces that you get dragged out of position all the time I think sometimes I've seen Wiltshire in positions where he's turning his ankle, he's leaving himself isolated on a one-on-one where he's been dragged into a position because that space has been vacated. And I think when I look at Arsenal's, you know, the two centre-halves, OK, they stay there, and then you go, OK, you want Arteta or someone in the middle, that's fine. But when the space is opening up, I don't know if I want to see Ramsey and Wiltshire chasing people the other way all the time. I don't think it's their strengths. They're both fabulous footballers going the right way 
for them is forward. You don't like them going side to side? I don't like them going side to side and eventually going backwards. I think Wiltshire's got himself in some awful positions because <laughs> someone leaves up huge holes all the time. Because they do. Arsenal's fullbacks are certainly the most adventurous in the, in, for me in the, in the league. Terry, is this the crux of the matter, though, that it, it, there's great players, but the conventional wisdom has it is that they're all in sort of funny positions. They're not go, you know, further up the pitch, obviously. Mesut Ozil had a, had a stint in, in central attacking uh, midfield last week, which most people think is his natural position. But no, Mesut, you go back to the wing. And uh, Alexis Sanchez, you go to the bench. And is he trying to be a little too clever by half? I, I, I just think that Arsenal's biggest weakness, and that I disagree with Alison on, on Arteta, I, I think Arteta for me has been Arsenal's weak link for a long time. I think he is actively targeted by opposition managers. I think they know they can get at him. They know he can't dictate playing as, as someone in his position should do. They also know he, he, he doesn't have the physicality to, to stop opposition attacks. And I think when you've got a weak link like that, who plays such a fundamental role, I think that weakens everything in front and behind them. And I, I th- we see this in other clubs where that goal is, is so crucial. If you, if you call the midfield pivot for these and the whole team pivots around them, and if you've got Arteta there, he doesn't do that job particularly well. He, if you were to replace him with, say, Paul Popker or Carvalho from Sport Lisbon, someone who's an absolute specialist in that role, I think you would see a difference in Wilshire, in Ramsey, in Ezel, in anyone you want to mention who plays ahead of them. I think would automatically improve just by replacing that one role. I, I think it, it's, it's another oversight by Wenger that he doesn't appear to see that opposition managers like Mikel Arteta's playing his team. Word on, on, on Spurs, because obviously it's been it's been very up and down. I, I was intrigued by what you said, Alison, about sort of knowing when to press and knowing when to when to defend. To me, it's a sign of a well-drilled team. It's a sign of a mature team. And, you know, only idiots go and press for 90 minutes. But if you know how to press selectively at the right time and you'll conserve your energy, your press will be will be more effective and if you are going to press it's a real skill it looked to me like they got like, like they got it right they, they, they soaked up the pressure they pressed the right time they took the lead but Arsene Wenger wasn't happy about it at all he, he complained that um, they were stalling and slowing the game down and if you were Pochettino what would you tell him <laughs> I'd ignore that completely to be honest I mean no, I mean no because Pochettino uh, this is I think this is one of the few occasions where he's got it right he he sort of made his name here by his high-pressing game. But at Southampton, he had, first of all, he had players without egos who were prepared to do as they were told. They were incredibly energetic. Even the young ones, they sort of didn't exactly complain about the training methods that Pochettino had there, but they, they said it, it's, it, they were the toughest training methods they'd ever had. He worked them really hard so that come match day, they could press most of the time. It was, and, and Pochettino has come to Spurs different clutch of players not as likely to just do what the manager says and they'd probably think it's slightly beneath them if it was just press 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 that's just like running around like mad little ponies it's not playing football so he's he's got he's got quite a difficult juggling out there on lots of players signed for high money will think very highly of themselves and their skills they're not they're not particularly not all of them particularly. Uh, I mean, someone like Adabior, for example. I, mean, I can't remember the last time I saw him sprint. He just sort of ambles around. It's, you, you know, and, and yet he's playing him. So you've got, you've got to work out how the players he's got, the skill set they have, he's not going to get them pressing that often. And I think, overall, the balance was right at, at the Emirates. Cass, I have 
very specific views on press on pressing as as you might uh, mm. as you might imagine. But I mean, w- when you were up front, a did you did we, were you asked to press and did you do you? But why are you laughing? Because <laughs> in my earlier days, not so much. And when I got to my latter stages of my career, when I probably didn't have the legs, I'd done more pressing than I'd ever done. Um, I worked for, you all know this guy, Laszlo Bologna. Yes. Who was an unbelievable trainer. I walked into the football club at 34 years old and he said to me, you'll play till you're 38 under me. And I thought, oh, you know, I think, and I never, ever trained so hard in all my life. And it was him. I played till I was 38. And... He was always very much for pressing, and we did it really well. We played for Nancy, and we survived, and we done well in the French Liga. We buy our team ethic and pressing, and he's his old real. He wanted some a lot of the time to save energy. Of what you you spoke about is that if you're the closest to the ball, go go get them. Even if you're out of position, go and do a job. Go after them. Don't let someone bypass you by 10 yards, run past you to close somebody. First of all, it's a waste of a run because you're, the time that the guy's got on the ball, he'll pass it and move it. So he wanted people close to the ball to get to people really quickly and people to follow behind all the time. It's, it's like a continuation. Well, of, that's tiring. It is. But, you don't have the right aptitude for but, it. But you have to be incredibly fit to play that game. And you mentioned, uh, or Alison, sorry, mentioned Pochettino's training players. You know, you have to be, af- you know, like an athlete, a specialist athlete in high training, high intensity training, and you've got to be able to do it week in, week out. But he out. hasn't inherited enough of those players, has he? No, and it might take him a bit of time. I, I'm, on, I'm, I'm actually wondering if, if maybe Pochettino isn't kind of showing there's a different dimension to him, saying, like, you know, when I was there, I had those players, and that's how I did it. Now I'm going to do it differently because I have different. Uh, players and that, you know that that high pre- high intense press isn't sort of some philosophy of his. It's something that he does when he believes he's got the right players for it and and he's got the right time. You know he's got enough time to recuperate between games and that's when he does it. But why why is he promoted Ryan Mason suddenly? You know no other Spurs manager was giving him the time of day at all. It's because he's energetic and keen and keen. That's the thing. He's coming with no baggage, no medals. He's just desperate to. To do a job. Maybe that's what he wants from that, from that position. I mean, you know, there's, there's a bunch of those guys from Spurs who've come through recently. I mean, Ben Taleb and Kane, and I mean, obviously they are producing some younger players, right? Yeah, but I mean, I think I think maybe, Pochettino, maybe the point good, is, I think Pochettino is is making sure he looks at. They have a great youth system at Spurs, I think, and he's making sure he gives. He's looking at them so that he can bring them in, and I don't think he's going to abandon pressing at all. I just think he's just going to. Balance it better, better balance it differently than he did at Southampton. Just about got clear. This is Jagielka. Oh, look at that! A bolt from the blue as Everton rescue a point with a terrific goal from Jagielka. Let's go to Merseyside and let's get Tony Barrett exciting. Tony Stephen Gerrard scores a tremendous free kick after the game. He, you know, people ask him, "Oh, look, you know, you're not, you're not done yet." I'm going to ask a naughty question now, but weren't the concerns about Gerard to do with his mobility, not his ability to strike a ball, which has never really been in question? No, exactly. If you're Stephen Gerrard, you're going to stand there after scoring a free kick in the Mayside derby and say, that proves I'm, I'm not done yet. And rightly so. You've, you've, you've just made a significant difference for your team on the day. For the people who, who make those criticisms, they will right, just as rightly say, well, we, we were in question whether you could take a free kick or you question your suitability to a particular role in a particular team. Uh, I think the word finish has been bandied about a little bit too loosely. It's inevitable when a player 
gets into the thirties, especially a great one has a lot of focus on them. People will talk about Steven Gerrard possibly being finished. I think that's premature. I, I still think in the Liverpool team, if you've got 11 better players than Steven Gerrard, 11 players with more quality than Steven Gerrard, then you wouldn't be struggling just as much as they are at the moment. I think, I think Steven Gerrard still has a goal to play for Liverpool. My argument wouldn't be that he shouldn't be in the team. My argument would be that he should be in a different role because I think that, like a, a lot of Liverpool players, the role he had in the team last season was... Uh, it. It was down to Lewis Suarez to make sense of it. He was a deep-lying quarterback who, who started up the, the quick counter-attacks. Now Liverpool don't play quick counter-attack like they did. They certainly don't have someone up front who can spin into their but They don't appear to have someone who's going to spin off defenders and hit the corners and put Gerrard's pick out with those long passes. So he's playing a constructive deep-lying midfield goal. He's not a destructive goal. And I think that's where it needs to change. For me, you have to get Gerrard higher up the pitch so he can use his quality. Oh, I agree with you completely, Tony. I mean, you know, last season, no manager could afford to start thinking about how to close down Stephen Gerrard. They were far too busy trying to cope with Luis Suarez. But now there is no Luis Suarez. And, and that, you know, it, if, if it reaps dividends if you put Gerrard under pressure because Liverpool de- defence isn't the greatest. And there isn't that fear that, you, you know, if you get it wrong, he's going to lump the ball towards Suarez and it's going to destroy you. So it's... Yeah, and you know Steven Gerrard. I I wouldn't write him off at all, but I don't. I just don't. I don't think, given who they have at their disposal, it makes sense at all for him to play that deep. All right, Cass, do you agree with them about having Gerrard further up the pitch? And if you do, then how would you see the team line up? Because if he plays further up, presumably you need one or two people behind him mm-hmm. in, a, in a holding midfield role and. Somebody further up the pitch has to sit out. Well, in his early days, he was a driving midfielder that could get goals regular. He could, you know, an incredible turn of pace, could find himself in all positions, especially from 20 yards out and bury him in the top corner. But in my early days, I could dunk a basket. Yeah, OK. Now. But now, I mean, before they played West Ham, I had a conversation, uh, obviously with the, the obvious one I've used before, but at West Ham, and they identified Gerard with Stuart Downing. They identified Sterard of trying to get down in beyond him and you, around him. So when he got the ball, he'd literally make runs. West Ham they'd get runs beyond Gerard, and it was quite clear. If you'd watched the first half, there's about five times in the first first 45 minutes where Gerard can't make the run and can't quite get there. Is he finished? No, definitely not. Yeah, but, but he's no, got sorry. to do a different role. Now, we're only going to learn if Gerard can still do a competitive role in midfield and having the legs is by pushing him further forward. <laughs> Hold it, Gab. He Will played in the World Cup. No, hold it. In the World Cup, he played against PLO, and he was 20 yards away from him. PLO's 35 and Gerard's 33. Why could Gerard not be pushed further up the park? I think he's better further up the park, and he might not get pressurised by as quick a player as he okay, is. Okay, so I'm looking at this from Roger's perspective, and um, yeah. Alison and Tony, I'm not going to get you guys get away without answering this question. If you move Gerard, I'm trying to look at it from Roger's perspective, right? Yeah. If you move Gerard further up the pitch, yeah. somebody has to go, presumably, and fill his role. How yeah. would you sort that out? And somebody has to miss out because there's a lot of players with a lot of big reputations. Well, the guy that's Would you play one holding midfielder behind him or two? Well, I would, I would, I would use a guy that's never been used there. I'd use Henderson because I think he's very athletic. He's a strong guy physically. He's, a, you know, he's, he's, n- he's never been bad at challenging and making things. I'd, I'd be prepared to say him because that back four needs help. Okay, so, it's not good so Henderson so I would go Henderson going the 
his role because Henderson does all the simple things really well. He isn't a flair player. He hasn't got Gerrard's eye of a pass. He can't well, do that for him. Would you have Sterling in the hole? I'd have Sterling much nearer to Gerrard. I think Gerrard would have a lot more. I think he'd get know that he could give Sterling the ball a lot quicker. Right, so then you wouldn't have, two, you wouldn't have two strikers then. Well, no, they haven't at the moment. I wouldn't go back. Well, no, but Sturridge is going to come back. So, right. Well, no, so, I would. I would do what most clubs do. I'd. I'd find an. Uh, I would do, certainly go Sturridge down the middle, and I'd look to Balotelli to play slightly off him, even wider. To, to play wide. So, okay. uh, so some I'd version of the four. Different. So some yeah. kind of four-one-four-one, basically. Yeah. All right, uh, Tony. What did you make of that? And what would your solution be? Short term, I'd agree with Tony. Should be. Jordan Henderson, that role. The, the, one of the problems Liverpool have is they they also play with high fullbacks, Moreno, Manquillo, or to push high. So then they're then asking Steven Gerrard to provide the, the cover right and left for the two fullbacks, which is a big big ask. He's splitting the centre backs. He's then covering the fullbacks. He's, he he is not 22 years of age. That that to me is if you're asking someone to play in that way, it's it's the role of a younger player, somewhere somewhere with higher energy levels, which is what Jordan Henderson is. But long term, I, I I think Liverpool. I thought Liverpool should have been in the market for for a, a destructive hold midfield player in the summer. I thought that that was one of the key positions, and they didn't address that. Uh, I thought they bought too many similar types for similar roles, and they left the two. The two areas that most needed centre, i.e., goalkeeper and holding the field, he just didn't address them. And for me, I would I would use Steven Gerrard's number ten. I, I still think that is where you'll you'll get the most from. Right. Next to Raheem Sterling. No, I would I would play Raheem either out wide or I would go back to Diamond with Henderson, Allen, Sterling, and Gerrard in front behind the two forwards. Okay, so no Lalana, no Markovic, none of those. Those dudes Ma- for you. Markovic, I like Markovic a lot, but he's a long way off. Right. And I, I think Lana could be interchangeable. He can listen. Gerard Rodgers already said that Gerard will he will start tailing his games. There will be games when others will come in. Alison, you know what's coming. You've got yeah, Jared yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, first, first of all, just say I, I think you can play Sterling anywhere. It doesn't yeah. matter. Well, no, but we. <laughs> I know you, you just make sure he's in the team. He doesn't have to play off the main strike. Okay, so where would you put it? So where would you put Jared? Gerard, I I agree with Tony. I'd play him number ten. Four one four one. No, I well maybe I don't know. But I, I I what I do want to say is what on earth has happened to Lucas, who was player of the season season before last, and is exactly in theory the sort of player who should be playing the role that Gerard's playing. What did happen now. to that guy? I, I've heard reports that he's not the same. Yeah, and Rogers Rogers wanted to get rid of him. Yeah, he's had to use him this season because of injuries. He he went. He went out of fashion. He does what Rogers wants a constructive player in that holding goal, and and Lucas is destructive. He wins the ball and gives a simple. He doesn't. There's nothing uh, wrong with that. I don't. I honestly don't think there's anything I, wrong with that. I wouldn't argue with that. I listen. That I think that's how the role should be played. That that's for me what that role is. Uh, but obviously Rogers. And to be fair to him, no one could argue on the base of last season having someone who begins attacks, who is a playmaker in that deep line role. Yeah, well, that was but then and this is now. Liverpool are, I agree. are well, in, that's in that's lots of different that's competitions. They haven't got the best player in the world anymore. And uh, there's nothing <laughs> uh, there's nothing wrong at all. It's actually, they haven't had the best player in the world <laughs> since uh, uh, the early 1980s, OK? So let's 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 be very clear on that. I think I'm clear on that. Um, ooh. Ooh, ooh, you know, Lucas. Yeah, the fans took a while to warm to him because he didn't seem to have quite the passing ability that he should have but then when you slowly you realize he wins the ball doesn't do anything stupid with it for goodness sake use him you guys all seem slightly 
downbeat on Liverpool, but Brendan seemed decidedly upbeat because uh, he, he came out and he said that they played really well. I, I personally think he has a point. I think that should have been a penalty on Gareth Barry and the, the, the Balotelli finish where, where Tim Howard made an unbelievable save. You factor those things in and you factor, you know, Jigelka's wonder strike was fantastic, but it was sort of, uh, you know, once in a month of Sunday type stuff. So, Tony, should, should you all just be happy the way Brendan seems to be happy? Hey, but just a balance, it should be. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Everton should have had a penalty before Liverpool should have had a penalty. That that should be stressed. And, and if we don't stress that on Merseyside, that will cause mayhem. And I, I <laughs> no, it's, it's a strange one because Everton had the celebrations at the end of the game, and that's what happens when you get a, a goal of that type and at that time. And and, and the Liverpool sports were absolutely devastated. But if you take away everything if, uh, after that strike, from that strike onwards, that was Everton's time in the game from the 92nd minute to the 94th when the final whistle went. That was the time when Everton posed a threat. That was the time when it looked like Everton could actually win the game. Before that, there was never a point when Everton were on top, when Everton were pinning Liverpool back. Liverpool were quite clear, without playing especially well, Liverpool were clearly the better team. And I, I thought Everton had the greater concerns to take from the Derby in Liverpool because they didn't play the way you would expect the Beto Martinez team to play. They sat in deep and played a load of diagonals from Lou Lukaku, who was stationed on the right flank, and it was spectacularly ineffective. And they, they continued that strategy from first minute to last. And it was only that swing of Jagielka's boot which meant that the scrutiny on Martinez wasn't as, as great as it perhaps should have been. But Liverpool do take some positives. They, they probably don't think that today. And they certainly didn't think so in the, in the last couple of minutes. But they should take some positives from the way they played. This was a more cohesive, more balanced Liverpool. It was Liverpool where the sense of defence, despite obviously they weren't tested particularly, but they, they, they looked to have a blend that they've lacked 
previously. And, and right through the team, Liverpool looked more cohesive. Balotelli did a, a mm. good job. He led the line well, held a play, brought others into the game and worked hard. All right, sorry, i got to jump in here, Tony, because I was on the other show I do in the middle of the night on ESPN, and I was with a Liverpool legend uh, named uh, uh, Stevie Nicol and with a Trinidad legend named Shaka Hislop. And they both slaughtered Balotelli's performance. In fact, they said that if you'd played Ricky Lambert, he would have done exactly what Balotelli had done. Are they wrong? Can you look uh, at a Liverpool no, legend like Stevie Nicol and say, you're wrong, Stevie? Yeah, I think, I think that goes far to the spectacular on the Balotelli was given a stand with Aisho when, when he came off his yeah, work rate. Uh, and, and obviously, you don't give standardations out That's to players who don't, don't give anything. Bal- Bal- Balotelli, I would argue, had Balotelli been on the pitch, Jagielka doesn't stroll up the pitch in open play to have a shot from the edge of the box in the last couple of minutes. <laughs> I, I think Balotelli was occupying two, three, sometimes four Evan defenders. And when Ricky Lambert come on, and this is, this is no offence to Ricky, he's a different type of player, there is no danger of Ricky Lambert running in behind. That's not what he's going to do. Balotelli's always got that threat. He doesn't do it often enough for me, but he can do it. Cass, you just said that's ridiculous. Are you referring to Tony Barrett's defence of Balotelli or Stevie Nichols' crucifixion of Balotelli? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm saying it's ridiculous to the two ex-players who have questioned Balotelli's performance. I'm thinking, what game are you watching? Balotelli was superb. He didn't get a goal. It was like you said. It was a Howard save. It was a, his work rate during the game was sensational. I thought he, the way he, he held the play at times and brought people in, his movement it was exceptional. How you could look at that game and say Ricky Lambert would have done a better job? That to me is laughable. So would have done it, the same job to be oh, fair. Oh, same job. Nowhere near. That was that was. Look, Bellatelli has his critics and sometimes with with reason. But to question his performance on Saturday against Everton and the, I just thought he was superb in many things. He didn't. If he'd have got a goal, he'd have got a nine in the paper the next day. <laughs> Tony, I'm, I wanted to ask you about, about Hibbert, uh, just as an aside, because our debate today is about Rudy, so I thought it was a nice way to end this segment. And uh, I know who Hibbert is, or I discovered who he was, because he signed his contract on the same day with Everton on the same day as, as Wayne Rooney. Then, obviously, he sort of disappeared for uh, of late. He sort of disappeared for a while, due in part to the emergence of Seamus Coleman. Now, he's from Liverpool, um, I'm not. Cass isn't. Alison isn't. Although the latter two obviously wish they were. Um, I, am, I am from Liverpool. You're not really, Alison. I was born. I was conceived and born there and lived there. How old were you when you left Liverpool? When I was conceived. Guess how old I was. It was minus <laughs> nine months. Well, okay. But hey, let me put it this way: you don't talk the way Tony does, so you're not from <laughs> Liverpool. Okay. So. I am from Liverpool. All right. Okay. Fine. All right. So then, Alison and Tony, who actually are from Liverpool, you're not. You're from Kent, right? Uh, yes. There you go. But I was conceived go- saved in Liverpool. Uh, another one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Everyone, everyone was conceived in Liverpool. Clearly. I just wanted to ask you, I know it sounds, sounds corny when we talk about sort of the meaning of the derby and so on. We, we often do it within the lens of, of, of great players like, like Peter Reid or Steven Gerrard or whatever. But from the perspective of a guy like, like Hibbert, who's, you know, maybe not, uh, uh, you know, on, on a par with the guys I just mentioned, can you talk a little bit about about him and what playing in a Merseyside derby can mean? I think he showed what it meant. There was a tackle after about 65, 70 minutes on, on Balotelli where, where Balotelli thought he was just going to take possession of the ball and, and stroll away with it. And Tony Hibbert slid in and absolutely smashed them up in the air. Got the ball, great, a proper, what you'd say, the derby tackle. And that crystallised exactly what it means. 
it was 666 days since his last Premier League start. And in the time in between, he's, he's largely been injured. He struggled with injury. But he is one of those players who you would say is a derby player. Everyone thinks they have a unique derby, but they don't. Every city has the same derby. And every club will have a player who's a derby player. Somebody will come in and not let you down because they understand the occasion and what it's about. And that's what Tony Hibbert did on Saturday. In our debate this week, uh, Manchester United obviously won at the weekend 2-1 against West Ham. Sam Allardyce is very unhappy that Kevin Nolan's goal was was struck off. Now, the decision was correct, replace shows. I'm not sure the assistant actually saw it from where he was. I think he gambled a little bit, but he got it right. But the talking point, I think, has got to be Wayne Rooney because three or four into three or five into three, if you add Yanazai, doesn't go. Rooney is the Manchester United captain, which seems to be very important in this country. And yet at the same time, you look at the other guys and people have raised the question, might United be better off without Wayne Rooney? And then you see Wayne Rooney living up to every single Wayne Rooney stereotype. Uh, he plays, I thought, very well in the first half, scores a goal. In the second half, you have Stuart Downing going up the pitch, and Rooney said afterwards he was going to commit a professional foul to stop him, which I thought was absolutely asinine because, you know, Downing, he's got to run with the ball for such a long distance. You've got players back. It's not like it's a last-man foul. And then he says that he somehow got uncoordinated when he tried to he could have just tripped him, but instead he ended up basically kicking him in, in the midriff and was rightly sent off. What do we make of this, Allison? Because just when I, I love defending Wayne Rooney, and then he just goes and does something so absolutely idiotic. We're not going to see him again until November. He's going to miss the Chelsea game. Why? Well, you're going to find out whether Man United are better off without Wayne Rooney, aren't you, for the next three matches? So it's quite useful from a pundit point of view. Is it not? Um, the most significant thing about all that you just uh, explained was that this is now Manchester United, that, that, as you say, with Downing so deep, it's considered a massive threat that you have to commit a professional foul to stop him surging forward. But it's Stuart Downing! It's Stuart Downing! It's not who's Messi! Had a, who's who's had a renaissance? Hey, he's had a renaissance I don't care what season. renaissance he's had. He's got, you got five <laughs> guys back there. Get one, of, get one of the idiots at the back to foul him and get themselves sent off since nobody cares about him. Right? I, I'm agreeing Rojo, with you. Rojo, the other with McPaddy, you. whatever. I'm agreeing with you. What, what has it come to that that is considered a danger? I, I'm just they, so must, they, must, they must be so nervous about their defence for Wayne Rooney to feel it's his job as captain to just just hack hack someone down so like, deep it's ridiculous it's utterly ridiculous Cass give me an insight here <laughs> in the player's perspective I know for a fact that you've been sent off in your career now I imagine nine times well exactly now I imagine that when people get sent off generally <laughs> it's either a last man situation or which this frankly wasn't unless you're uh, unless you've got no idea of space perception or it's retaliation or somebody gets under your skin or you want to go do somebody if it's your mate Roy Keane this wasn't any of those things what could possibly I, I cannot buy the fact that Wayne Rooney being one of the, the top professional athletes could be so uncoordinated that he just means to trip him and he ends up kicking him mm. right we're not talking about handyman here right yeah um you ever done anything really stupid in your life, Gab? I certainly have. Yes. Yeah, well, that's besides the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. but but, but uh, you, you do I something know, stupid for a reason because no, you want to thrill. Well, it's fun. Like if I drop acid, that might be stupid. But you know what? Like you want to you want to do it. What did you want to experience? What it was like <laughs> well, to commit an idiot? I mean, come on. <laughs> Look, he was given the captain's armband, and there's there's something that sometimes. Have it, you ever done something like this? Yeah. 
done something that not exactly the same, but I've done something afterwards. I thought, what? Why did I do that? Uh, you know, you've got to be an idiot to do what I did, and I did. Now Wayne Rooney played in the week before at Leicester, and I remember seeing him in the on the pitch for the fourth goal by Vardy. He's on the eighteen yard box. He's chasing Vardy back on the eighteen yard box. And we I all praised thinking, them for you, that last what, week. Yeah, hold it. What are you doing now? Because surely, you know. In, in a moment of the game, you didn't have to be on your 18-yard box. For, for me, Wayne Rooney there was, not, was just ridiculous. Uh, and I remember he was going crazy at his team, so he took on a huge, which he thinks, in his own head, and his big big ego, because you do get a bigger ego when you've been given more rights. I think he's thinking, I'm much more powerful. And then suddenly, the week after, he scored his goal, and then for some mad moment, he just thought, do you know what? I'll just boot him. And he did. It's as simple as it's that. It's as simple as that. Uh, he... I can't believe it premeditated. Come on, Gab, it's not premeditated. He admitted it was premeditated. Oh, it can't be, Alison. In a moment, if you literally <laughs> punch someone in the him. face... He meant to trip him, but didn't mean to kick his knee. But how is that possible? What are I the... don't know how you can from a... a a, 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 a situation that's developed and then suddenly you're going to go, well, I'm because in an instant he's just thought, he's away at goal, I'm going to boot him. He must have just thought that. He can't have thought, I'm going to premeditate, kick Stuart's down him like 10 minutes before. Tony... Can you shed some some insight in this? And let's let's be fair to Rooney. I think it's five and a half years since his last it is indeed. red card in the Premier League. I, I think uh, it was more recent than that. He got that stupid red card with England. His England record is less. But good, but yeah. but that but that was the, that was a rush of blood in in the last qualifier. Obviously, this wasn't. Well, what's your take on on what just happened? As somebody who spent fifteen years of my life playing Sunday League football in Liverpool, I can identify with what Wayne Rooney did. I think what we've seen since he's got the armband is, is this reversion to the Sunday League footballer that everyone billed Wayne Rooney as when he came through. He was he was the street footballer with talent. And every time I watch him play now, I see that edge there. I When he berated his, pretty much his entire team after he made a mistake at Leicester, that was Sunday League captaincy. That was that was captaincy through through verbal and verbal and physical intimidation. That wasn't that wasn't the, the captaincy at the top. European club, that is not how you captain teams, and it doesn't surprise when I see Wayne Rooney do that, because if I play Sunday League or I watch Sunday League I see those tackles week in, week out. Are we basically saying that nobody buys his defence, that he was trying to break up play, trying to commit a tactical foul? Not a chance, no, he he just tried to boot him. But but Tony, don't you accept that it is symptomatic of the fact that United have a weak defence this season? And because he's captain, he feels he's got to solve all problems. So he's not not trusting his defenders to cope with Stuart Downing's run. There is an element of that. And the fact that Stuart Downing was running free through through an absolutely vacant Manchester United midfield should probably be just as great a concern as as Rooney's reaction to that. But his reaction is, is nuts. All right, just to just to wrap this, I'm, I'm sure we will go back to this because uh, Funhal will have to make decisions at some point. Uh, Alison, we talked about what would a Rooney Leicester United be, and you pointed out that we will now find out. Mm-hmm. Assuming everybody is fit uh, and out there, would you would you have Wayne Rooney in your starting lineup? I well, let's see what happens without him. I oh, mean, no. I think okay. I think you get a very different. Say you put um, Matter in behind. A front two, you get it. You get the whole team has a different complexion to it. It's more studied, less passionate. I don't know. It might work. It might just work. Tony, yeah, uh, without without hesitation, I, th- I think. Listen, we we, we can see Rooney's shortcomings. We can see the things he doesn't do, uh, the things he gets wrong. But for me, 
he absolutely guarantees goals for Manchester United and I do think that is the one commodity that is taken far too for granted in modern football you've got a player who can finish like he finished on Saturday uh, and at the time when Falcao he's, he's going to take time he's had a cruciate knee ligament injury he's not going to be at his best straight away and Van Persie's permanently either injured or coming back from injuries, back going through one of those phases. To me, Rooney's nearly always fit, nearly always available, puts himself out there, and he does look to try and lead, so for those reasons, I, I wouldn't even think of dropping him. Yes. I think United would be a better team with Rooney in it, and I think he's shown a lot of good stuff this early season, and um, I think, like really what Tony has sort of said about Van Persie, I think the, the future lies with uh, a Wayne Rooney for the next couple of seasons to be a big, big star, and he talks in the papers, didn't he? About he needs to go on again, like Alan Shearer did at 29, and I think that that must be his goal. By the way, to give credit where credit to, he didn't talk in the papers. He spoke exclusively to our friend Johnny Norcroft. Um, for what it's worth, I completely agree. I would drop one out of Falcao and Van Persie, and maybe alternate the two of them. We're going to do our quick hits now, but. Maguire gets very aggressive when people talk for too long. So we need to stick to our time limits, okay? We will use the appropriate sound effects. After 20 seconds in your answer, you will hear this sound. And after 25 seconds, you will hear this sound. And then I will start talking loudly and rudely over you. Gary Jacob reports today that Chelsea are considering redeveloping Stamford Bridge and moving for a season to Twickenham. Cass, I assume you're one of those guys who doesn't want to see the hallowed turf trod upon by Neanderthal footballers? No, I think it's a really good idea if they're going to obviously redevelop Stamford Bridge. Um, as long as the only thing the players will really care about is the surface, the playing surface being superb. Played at Lansdowne Road for Ireland a number of times. The only concern was the pitch, but I don't think that will be a problem. Eliaki Mangala serves up an absolute stinker, but City come back to defeat Hull 4-2. Should Pellegrini be worried or happy with the points? Tony? Happy with the points. And is this not just what happens when you change a goalkeeper and a, and a centre-back both at the same time? You're going to get weakness, you're going to get indecision, you're going to get uncertainty for a short period. Fortunately, City have players going forward that mean that won't be such a massive problem. They'll be fine in the long run. Crystal Palace beat Leicester and are in the top half of the table. Allison, I was skeptical when Mr. Warnock was appointed, but they're absolutely flying. Do we, and I mean I, owe Parrish a collective apology for doubting his wisdom? Yeah, you, you weren't alone, Gabs. Um, I think it helps that um, Palace fans now feel they had a very close shave. They could have had Malky Mackay. They now <laughs> realise that wouldn't have been a great appointment. Uh, so that's, that helped Warnock's assimilation. He's just very good for the club. He, he seems to really does get the best out of some young players and lets them express themselves. And right now they're having fun. Graziano Pelé notches a brilliant overhead kick in Southampton overcome QPR to stay in second place. Cass, you were a big centre forward with an Italian sounding last name. Can you describe how easy or difficult it is to do what he did? Could have been ruled out, ruled out that goal, couldn't it? Dangerous play with the boots. Yeah, if you're a bunch of wusses. Yeah, yeah I mean, well, anyway. Um, how difficult it is, very league. difficult. You have to practice the art. I wasn't obviously very good at it. Great goal, but I've got a question, Rob Green. Rob Green, I can't believe he hasn't saved that. He's, has he got his boots glued to the floor? Why, why are you hitting on Rob Green now? Because it wasn't as great a goal as what you're suggesting. You prefer Charlie Austin's goal? 
I preferred a couple of goals. I thought right. we had goal against Liverpool. I mean, Charlie Austin's goal was in the same game. That's why I'm asking you about it. Right, moving on. Matt Dickinson wrote about Brian Clough, and he asked himself whether, amidst a celebration of the man's genius, we ought to pause to note the many allegations of bungs and financial mismanagement leveled against him. Now, our boss, Tony Evans, also touched upon the subject and made the very same point. So, given that Tony Evans, our boss, feels that way as well, I'm assuming that you stand that same way too, right, Tony? I usually go the opposite way to Tony, but on this, I'm, I'm the same. And I always think, why stop at Bungs? Why not go with Brian Clough punching football sports on the pitch? Why not mention the fact that Brian Clough was a Hillsborough denier who, who blamed drunken Liverpool fans while his, player, while his son was a Liverpool player? So add to the list, selfish and egotistical and playing wrong, and, and you can keep on going. I, I, I had no idea about the Hillsborough denial stuff. Yeah, but it, it was in it was in his uh, biography, and he, he did actually. But he, he said Liverpool people kill their own fans. That was the actual quote. Are you serious? I am not, did, you, yeah. did you guys all know this? No. Wow. Hey, sorry, I'm just I'm just pausing for a minute because um, Nigel Nigel was a Liverpool player at the time, and it, was, it caused a major stink. If if you Google it, if you just Google uh, Brian Clough Hillsborough, and you you will bring up quite a bit on it. it was the, 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 the extracts went past the Kelvin McKenzie stage. Wow. Chelsea brush aside Aston Villa 3-0, and that man Diego Costa scores his eighth league goal of the season. Allison, now, he supposedly can't play twice a week because of some hamstring issue, although Mourinho tends to keep playing him twice a week. Is it up to Mourinho to give him a rest, or is he right to complain about the Spanish FA overusing him during the international break? Well, it's catch-22, isn't it? The more he plays for Chelsea and the more goals he gets, the more Spain are going to think, oh, we're, we're very lucky to have him and we must play him too. Spain don't want him to become injured. I don't, I don't see why Mourinho's being aggressive. There has to be a compromise, uh, both parties. If Mourinho's playing him on a regular basis, he cannot, he cannot expect his country to rest him completely. Not just his country, but Spain too. Indeed. But I'm, I'm <laughs> a question for Gab. FIFA will not release Michael Garcia's report into alleged corruption surrounding the 2018 and 2022 bids. Your thoughts on this, Gab? Uh, This is far more serious than all that nonsense with the watches, which seems to have fascinated the the, the, the British media. This is really, really bad because you need transparency. You're, You're having this report to establish wrongdoing. Uh, the perception of wrongdoing. You're, you've, you've hired this man, Garcia, to go and, and provide this. Um, you have a duty to your stakeholders uh, or football fans around the world. Uh, I, I think this is absolutely extraordinary, and I would absolutely love it if, if, if leading football federations got together and really pushed Blatter on this point, because this is something that he can ultimately relent on, because it's not like he has anything personally to hide. So um, I, I just find this extraordinary. Okay, now this is a feature we call any other business. No? Okay. Um, Allison. Yeah, uh, everyone must download or go to their iPlayer, whatever you do, and watch um, uh, a BBC uh, film called Marvelous. It's about... Uh, Marvin Hagler. But a kit man at Stoke City. It is the most beautiful football drama you will ever, ever see. And I was sobbing my heart out when I watched it last night. Is watch it, it watch is, it. Is it fiction or is it a No, it's true, it's true. It's, one of, it's, it's, it's amazingly made because they've got the man. Um, he's called Neil Baldwin. He looks really quite old now. But he's 
in it and the actor playing him Toby Young sometimes sits with him and asks him was that bit true that we just dramatised and he'll say yes or no it, and it's got cameos from Lou Macari and Gary Lineker and it's just the most exceptionally quirky you'll never see another football drama like it it's not just about football but it is, it is and the f- football bits are very very funny and Tony Cascarino will adore it so that's all we've got time for this week now if you haven't subscribed on iTunes and Player FM Please do so immediately. Dave McGuire, our producer, will be very, very grateful. And if you want Allison to be grateful, go to BBC iPlayer and check out Marvelous, the very touching drama about the Stoke Kitman. Many thanks to my guests today, Allison Rudd, Tony Cascarino, and the man on Merseyside, Tony Barrett. Check out thetimes.co.uk. Members get exclusive football, rugby, and cricket highlights free as part of your subscription. Not a member yet? That's okay. You can take our one-pound digital trial today. Just search Timesport online. Till next week, bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Hi, I'm Tim Montgomery, the presenter of another Times podcast from the opinion pages called Did You Read? It's the perfect weekly snapshot of some of the best writing in the newspaper. Find out more by heading to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central and search Did You Read to subscribe on iTunes. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.